Greetings, friends, and welcome back to Ascendant. I'm Andrew Crusoe, and today I have a very special interview to share with you. I had the opportunity to interview Garrett Lisi, theoretical physicist, speaker, investor, and founder of the Pacific Science Institute. Garrett was actually my first ever podcast interview guest. It was a spontaneous interview we did in his house, totally unplanned. And I was so thankful to have him back on the show, although this is a different show. We have a very interesting conversation here. We talk about his amazing abundance journey from investing in stocks when he was just a kid to van life on Maui to his famous TED Talk about a new theory of everything, a very beautiful theory, I might add, and so much more. We go in directions I couldn't have predicted, not just string theory, not just understanding what a Lee group is and me rotating my pen to try to understand. (laughs) We also talk about what first contact with another civilization might be like. And we wrap up the talk with a little bit about the future of investing in cryptocurrency. This is a big interview. And I'm so excited to share it with you. Enjoy. Greetings, friends, and welcome back to Ascendant. Today, I am so excited to have Garrett Lisi, theoretical physicist, surfer, a nomad sometimes, and so much more. He did this amazing TED Talk years ago about E8 and pursuit of the theory of everything. I interviewed him years ago, and I'm so thankful to have him back on the show. This is a new show now. Um, Garrett, thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing today? Uh, hey, Andrew. Uh, good to be here. Doing well. And I've I've utterly failed as a nomad at this point. I'm pretty much at like my third sofa set. Uh, you know you've utterly failed. Third sofa set. Yep. <laughs> Well, I, you know, it was interesting. So people aren't familiar with your work. They, they should really check out your TED Talk because that's like a, I think it's a pretty good way to, to get introduced to sort of your mindset and this fascinating work that you've been, this journey really that you've been on for years. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a fun ride. And I was, I was absolutely terrified when I gave that talk because I thought that people might be like downloading it and learning about my work about from that talk 10 years after I gave it. And sure enough, they are. So that fear, I suppose, is justified. <laughs> because the internet mistakes are forever. They really a poet, are. <laughs> a, a poet said that once. I think about that for this show, yeah. And you can go on the internet and look up which poet that was. It was uh, Donald Glover. Yeah, never forgets. I'd love to have him on the show someday. I, I, can you believe we talked, I think it was five and a half years ago. Yeah, time flies. Time warp, man. So this this show is about thoughts becoming things, the pursuit of truth, and maybe most saliently in your position, our journey as humans from scarcity to abundance. It's like a growth journey. Um, I'm kind of a personal growth nerd, as you might have noticed. Yeah. And I was listening back on our first interview, which will be in the show notes at andrewcrusoe.com. Uh, I was listening back and I was just struck at the variety and how much fun. I mean, people don't know you, you invited me to, I was, I was visiting Maui and you invited me over and we had lunch. It was, I was so honored and so touched by that. And that interview was totally spontaneous. We didn't plan it. 
and we were just having this great conversation. And I was like, Hey, Garrett, do you want to, want to do an interview? <laughs> That's the and now you've, that. now you've leveraged this into a career somehow. It's pretty impressive. <laughs> we're on that path anyway. I mean, I, I feel like my career is mostly, um, uh, writing, but this is, this is my growth angle right now. And, you know, at some point in this interview, I want to pick your brain about sort of how you integrate your career with travel, because, you know, our first conversation, you talked about how a lot of your friends had, you know, been involved in the dot-com bubble and had done well, and you ended up like house-sitting for them. But I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself. How do you describe what you do these days, Garrett? <laughs> well, a good way to start is to say that I've, I've never had anything I could refer to as a career. Congratulations. Um, I... Uh... And so I, I suppose that's how I balance it <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> by not having one. Um, Don't do it. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I am wildly interested in a whole bunch of things, uh, including theoretical physics, uh, futurist philosophy stuff, uh, investing, which is how I support myself and eat, mm-hmm. uh, as well as doing fun stuff outside in nature, like surfing and snowboarding and paragliding and uh, having all sorts of fun. And uh, mostly I just consider myself wildly lucky hmm. in, uh, in several of these pursuits. Well, you did reveal in our first interview that you bought Apple stock when it was $14, <laughs> which... Yeah, that was, that was good. L- bravo, like really. Like, I did it I, for the wrong reasons, though. Did you? Yeah, I did it because um, I had a Next computer which is the computer that Steve Jobs uh, created when he got booted from Apple. And it was a fantastic machine, just a a beautiful, beautiful machine, Mm -hmm. wonderful operating system. And this was back in the 90s when Apple was was dying under Gil Emilio. It was like their their operating system, System 7, was horrible. And basically, they went went crawling back to Jobs and uh, basically next bought Apple for a negative amount of money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and jobs jobs put you know himself and all his next people in charge and since i had had a next i had sort of information that apple was going to do really well uh mm-hmm. with this new operating system so i bought a ton of apple stock yeah almost like inside information but not quite inside information like you just you right. were well, familiar that's, that's with what, what i doing. trade on I, I trade on you know sort of hunches and insights that things are going to do well mm-hmm. because you know that's it's a somewhat efficient market. I mean, all the information is out there. Everybody can trade on the information that's publicly available. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to get an edge in an efficient market, you have to be lucky in guessing things that other people aren't seeing. But I, I made the guess that Apple's going to do well based on that operating system. But the reason Apple did well was because of the you know, iPod and then iPhone. Yeah. And I, I had no idea that was coming. But uh, so just got lucky. It's nice when smart people who want to really help the world get that lucky and then they can leverage that, you know, and you, you kind of leverage that into into your spot on Maui, the Pacific Science Institute and those cabins that you've built. How There's so much we could we could touch on with that. But I feel like half of this might be about investing and half of this might be about the grand unified field theory of everything or we'll find well, out. Know, investing is much, much more profitable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it'd yeah. probably be a, a better service to your listeners to talk about investing the whole time. 
But for anybody who's interested in, in theories of everything, I do sort of have a proposal for one I've been milking for decades. So mm-hmm. um, it, it, that's also fun. Well, we can go with the flow, you know, it, but because to me, there are two sides of a coin, because if you didn't have that abundance, it would be difficult. Actually, it I would. might have stumbled on a segue here. It would be difficult to pursue that because that's your passion, right? I mean, yeah. dealing with this complicated mathematics that I, 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 I re, I've read a couple of your papers and so much of it just, it's like a Concord jet just flying right over my head. And I, <laughs> And I and I well, get some of it. It's it's math. I mean, when you yeah. dig down into the details of how our universe works, it's all math, right? So, and it's not like addition math either. It's it's like higher dimensional differential geometry and Lie group representation theory, and it's it's really high level math. It's uh, yeah. stuff at a very high level of abstraction, um, pretty much at the cutting edge of mathematics, right? That really applies to describe how our universe works. It's pretty amazing. It is amazing. And I, and I start to, it's sort of like, I sort of have the reaction that what's his name? Um, when you did that Ted talk, which now has 2 million, over 2 million views, that first one, um, from 2007, eight, a long time. Um, the host, what was his name? I forget his name was saying like, I don't, yeah, right. And he was like, I don't fully understand what you're saying, but it, it gives me a sense of awe and I can relate <laughs> to Chris Anderson there. It's like, we were get, we're getting like, even like a 3% of, or 5% of understanding of that. You do get this sense of, you know, it, it, you know, these mat, these complicated shapes deforming over space time. And we're trying to like, imagine a lot of people are visual learners. Yeah. And what do you say to somebody who's like, I want to understand this. And I found myself in this position this morning as I was preparing for, our talk today. What do you say to somebody who's like, okay, like I did, I did well even, but maybe their calculus is really rusty. Like, is there any advice you give to somebody who wants to start to understand some of this higher theoretical physics? Is there advice you would give to somebody? Start, start simple, understand examples and work your way up with harder and harder examples that go deeper and deeper into what you're studying. Okay. And yeah, yeah, start simple. Start simple. One of the resources I like is like Khan Academy. I don't know if that goes quite high enough. Um, I think no, not even int- close. Not even close. <laughs> <laughs> I think they've got integral calc on there, but that's probably not even high enough. Yeah, not quite. Um, no, I mean you. Uh, the journey, the journey begins where Khan Academy ends. I mean, you go up. Uh, maybe Khan Academy will talk about partial differential equations like electromagnetism and uh, the, the, there's probably some electromagnetism in there and, uh, and Maxwell's equations. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's where the journey begins. Yeah. Uh, Maxwell's equations describe the simplest geometry of a circle twisting over our four dimensional space time. Okay. And that's, oh, that's, so that's, this, like the, that's the baby version of what. You're yeah. That's with. how it starts. That's, that's the first thread. I should look at and, and 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 that's that's the first thread in what becomes the ugliest Christmas holiday sweater you've ever seen, which oh, is which like, is yeah, it's like the Griswold family Christmas. It's that tangled ball of uh, you know what I'm talking yeah. about. That's pretty much what the standard model of particle physics looks like. Is it looks like that tangled ball because you have you have fibers wrapping all over the place. Oh man, 
And is that just because, well, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves uh, in terms of like, so, so you knew, it seems like from a, when did you know you wanted to do this? Because this led to you eventually having, you know, a period of van life, which I want to touch on. We didn't really talk about it last yeah. time we talked. Like, well, I mean, I was before that. What what led you to that? Yeah, um, I was in physics graduate school studying for my PhD, and I had I really really loved general relativity. It's hmm. this geometric description of uh, space time as this folding fabric that describes the the interaction of gravity. And it's just, it's a very beautiful, ge- entirely geometric mathematical theory. It's super pretty. Mm. And then I went and I was learning the fundamentals of particle physics. Mm. And no offense to the particle physics physicists throughout history, but it's ugly. <laughs> um, I mean, compared to Einstein's work, particle physics and quantum field theory is, it's a mess. Mm-hmm. But it's a mess that gives extremely good predictions. So we have a high confidence that it is essentially true. Mm-hmm. So how do you reconcile that? Mm-hmm. Well, there was an effort underway to reconcile it called string theory. But mm-hmm. I looked into string theory, and it was an even worse mess. Mm-hmm. And unlike quantum field theory, which was a mess that told us things that were clearly true experimentally, could be verified, mm-hmm. uh, string theory uh, appeared to predict things that weren't true. So I found that very mm-hmm. satisfying, and I wanted to like pretend string theory didn't exist because I didn't like it <laughs> and say, okay, well let's, let's look at other ways of understanding particle physics and unification that are not stringy mm-hmm. and see if I can come up with a geometric way of understanding quantum field theory. That's more in line with Einstein's geometric understanding, understanding of gravity. And so that's, that's the direction I went in. So is that another way of saying, you know, we have this elegant because general relativity is pretty elegant, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's the simplest description you can imagine in terms of geometry of gravity, and it's been verified over and over again. Sort of passes the Occam's razor test, right? It does. It passes passes it the most dramatically of any mathematical theory in existence. And for those of those of our lovely listeners who may not know Occam's razor is a you know, it's philosophical is considered an axiom basically like all things being equal the simplest answer tends to be the true one that's right basically so general relativity says all right if space time is this four-dimensional fabric there's only one uh, geometric scalar like one number you can calculate at every point in space time called the curvature based on okay. how this space time is warping. And that one number describes everything. Yeah, that's the curvature. Well, it doesn't describe everything. It controls everything. It describes oh. how everything has to move. It describes how space time has to warp because Einstein's equations essentially say when you integrate over the curvature at all points in this warping space time, uh, that quantity called the action hmm. needs uh, to be extremized for any f- physically allowable configuration. So for any physically allowable movements of space-time, it has to extremize uh, this integral of the curvature over the space-time. 
Hold on. Let's, let's slow, slow the train down real quick. Uh, extremize, <laughs> extremize is a word that our listeners probably aren't familiar with because if I'm not familiar with that word, the odds of my listeners being familiar with it are probably low. Is that is that finding the most extreme example of something? What what is that? Uh, no, it's a math. It's a technical mathematical term. Um, it means if, if you plot a curve. Hmm. Uh, an extremization point is a point where the curve goes flat. Oh, okay. All right, so it's where it's where the curve goes horizontal. <laughs> okay. And uh, so that means the uh, calculus-wise, it means the the first derivative is zero. My mathematics is a bit rusty, unfortunately, but I can I can try to picture these things. So you're so you're saying like obviously this is the unified. This is what you're describing is just describing the space-time fabric itself, like why, you know, why stars warp space, why we have gravity. Is that kind yeah, of yeah. the dan- it, dance around this? Yeah. Not only that, I mean, it, it describes it out, you know, many decimal places very accurately because right. there are things that are weird. Like the, the orbit of Mercury, mm-hmm. if you try to understand the orbit of Mercury using Newton's laws, you get it wrong. Really? Yeah, because Newton's laws would tell you that Mercury orbits the sun in a ellipse with the sun at a focus. Right. Mercury doesn't do that. Hmm. Um, and the reason is it's deeper in the sun's gravitational field where space-time is more curved. Mm-hmm. And that's where the curvature of space-time uh, makes itself known is where when it's strongest. Mm-hmm. And the orbit of Mercury actually processes, so it makes like a, a little uh, a spirograph orbit around the Sun. It doesn't. It doesn't orbit in a perfect ellipse. Oh, nice. <laughs> good. Good analogy, Garrett. We, I, I used to have one of those spirographs. You put your put your pencil yeah. in there, and then the little gears. And do the other planets do that? Uh, they do, but they're not in such strong gravitational fields because they're further from the Sun, so it's not as right. noticeable. Right. Whereas Mercury's is actually detectable. So weird stuff starts to happen. I know I've read that you can start to see stars toward the, you know, if you're close to the sun, you start to see stuff you shouldn't be able to see because the light warps around the sun. Yeah, so you can start that's, to yeah, see that's the other thing. And, yeah. that, and Newton's laws don't describe that, but general relativity mm-hmm. does. Mm-hmm. Gravitational lensing. And it's just beautiful stuff. I mean, the description of all these physical phenomena in the universe is perfectly described by Einstein's equations. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just... There's no way this isn't true. Yeah. All right. So then, so then you can come along with quantum field theory, and it's like, oh, right. It's like a bunch of clowns show up to this elegant party. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> yeah. You want some? You want some red noses? Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's it's that bad. <laughs> so so I'm like, as a graduate student, I was in, intensely dissatisfied with the clowns showing up to this wonderful party. Yeah. And I said, okay, there's got to be a description of these clowns that's consistent with relativity, that's geometric. Uh, what is it? And and the the answer turned out to be inside the geometry of Lie groups. So for 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 lay people, and most of my audience are lay people. They they like to lie down. They like to relax. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, you, you, we got to turn them into lay people, Andrew. We need to turn them into lay. This is why you're on, man. Um, how do you, how do you describe for people who, let's say, somebody you know they did fine in college, but they're you know a liberal arts major and they took trigonometry, and that's where they stopped. Um, how do you how do you describe what a Lie group is to somebody? Uh, it's best. I like examples a lot, so start with the easiest non-trivial one. Hmm. 
which is you you pick up any object, right? And you think about how can you rotate this thing? Okay, I'm holding my pen. Right. Well, there are three independent ways to rotate it. You could, you know, Mm -hmm. rotate it, you know, horizontally, vertically, or you could twist it. Yep. Right. X X Y Z. Right. Yeah. So those are are three independent planes that in which you can rotate something. But you'll notice that if you rotate, say, 180 degrees in one plane and then 180 degrees in the other, then you've carried out 180 degrees of twist. Okay. Oh, oh. So it's like it's like uh, the the one value rotated 180 instead of doing two. Yeah, that's right. So, um, and so the reason this works this way is because of the Lie group of rotations called uh, spin three. It's the Lie group of spinning things in three dimensions. Okay. So that what I just did is a kind of Lie group. What you did was the action, the action, rotating an object mm-hmm. is the action of a Lie group. Okay. Uh, the spin, the spin Lie group. You're literally spinning something. So the Lie group is a description of that motion? That's right. So the, the Lie group decide, these, <laughs> the Lie group itself is the space of all possible rotations. Okay. Thank you for your patience in describing this to me because I'm, I'm, no, I'm, no, I'm holding an orange Sharpie pen and I'm visualizing this. <laughs> no, okay. All right. I'm stoked. This, I, I'm already understanding this more than I did six, five and a half years ago. Okay. All right, good. So the, the, the object itself that you're spinning is called the representation space of the Lie group. The object is the representation space. Okay. And, the, and the Lie group itself is the, the space of possible rotations that you can apply to it, that you can act on. So the group is just a group of possible movements? Yeah, it's a, it's a transformation group. So it's it's so they're not actually being done. They're all just like potential movements you could do. Uh, yes. Um, also, okay. also, uh, since you can combine two rotations to give a third, yeah, you have a natural group multiplication. Ooh. Say so, so one rotation and then the other rotation mm. to give a third rotation. That is a multiplication of group elements. Oh, because you're multiplying like variables, like you're doing x then yeah. y. Okay. Yeah. So, so combining rotations is the group multiplication. I encourage our listeners, if they can, to get a pen and try this. Because if you're <laughs> absolutely if, no, seriously, like if you're holding an object, yeah. it's. De- I'm, I mean, I'm a tactile learner, but it, it actually kind of it clicked with me a lot more. I was like, oh wow, that is. <laughs> <laughs> it actually makes a little more sense because, like, you're taking it. You do you know you're doing 180, so you're taking one end of the pin. I'm just holding it. I'm pointing it from the left to the right, and then I'm then I'm going okay, and then I'm pointing it. Then I'm I'm rotating it upside down, which is, which is what I did. Right. And then right. oh wow, now it's it's almost like I just rolled it. I don't know if that makes sense, but if you had a video, it would make sense. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Thank uh, you. <laughs> so this is this is the the simplest non-trivial Lie group. Okay. Right. The, the simplest trivial one is just a circle where you're just spinning something in one plane. So just something spinning is the Lie group? Yeah, that's the simplest Lie group called uh, SO2. SO2. Oh, okay. Yeah, you, you're spinning something in two dimensions, which means all you can do is you know spin around one axis. Is that related to the orbitals? The Is that why they label the electron orbitals SO and or is that unrelated nomenclature? Uh, I think that's unrelated. Well, I mean, it's everything's related, but 
Right. Well, <laughs> every, everything's related if you're crazy enough, right? Yeah. If you, you go deep enough. There's so many times where I felt like the guy, you know, that meme with the guy in front it's of a connected. cork board, you know what I'm talking about. He's got a bunch of red yarn and he's really yeah. excited. I think it might be a shot from like, it's always sunny in Philadelphia or something. Right. Um, <laughs> it's all connected, man. So, so, so you're, you're studying the, you're studying this, you're, you're in grad school, you, you know what you want to do. You're feeling, how, did you feel like a burnt? What was that like? Like, did you know, this is what I'm going, this is definitely, I mean, you're getting a PhD or was this before? Well, yeah, I think we're in PhD times now. Uh, I pretty much base jumped out of the ivory top of the ivory tower. Um, Woo. I was a straight A student. Yeah. I was uh, near the top of my class in graduate school. Um, I did extremely well. I just didn't like string theory. And that was the only game in town for a theoretical physicist at that time in the 90s. And that was it. so I uh, made the most questionable decision of my life, which is, you know, screw it. I'm just going to go to move to Maui, learn, learn to windsurf, be a surf bum, and I'll work on the physics I want to on my own. And I'll uh, live off whatever I can eke out from the stock market. Yeah. Wow. Turned out, it turned out to get really lucky. <laughs> I wish I'd advised it in Apple. And, yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm, a, I'm a horrible data point for uh, <laughs> to point to for decisions in life. Well, you're anomalous, but I seem to exclusively have anomalous people on this show. Right. I I appreciate it, <laughs> but you made some sacrifices. You know, like you, can you talk a bit about what it was like coming to Maui and um, sort of the, I mean, you talk about this in your famous TED talk of what. Well, yeah, I mean, I had, I had zero financial security. Yeah. <laughs> and I, uh, uh, for, for some reason, I uh, managed to get a wonderful girlfriend. Um, Lucky. But, uh, you know, I, I haven't until now had the resources to raise a family if I wanted to. Right. Um, so it's, it's, it, it was kind of tough. It was a bit of a struggle, but I mean, mm. there wasn't that much of a struggle. I was in Maui surfing. It's not that bad. I mean, yeah. And it, it, you know, that just that environment charges you up, but was it the original plan to get a van or is it like you were looking around no, at spots? Like, no, what was that? I was actually, yeah. no, I, I was actually traveling with a friend at first and, uh, living in various ridiculous places in Hawaii as one does when you don't have a lot of money and you got to be creative. Yep. <laughs> um, uh, I actually, I moved to Colorado for two years when I was working as a, a ski instructor at Breckenridge, which was fun. Oh, fun. Uh, I highly recommend doing the ski bum thing. If you get a chance, it's very fun. Huh. Um, but, uh, I missed Maui. I was, I was there and, uh, Breckenridge's nickname is Breckenfridge cause it gets so freaking cold cause of the wind. And, uh, yeah. and I, I was on a chairlift freezing my butt off and missing Maui. And I'm like, well, how do I go back there? I don't have enough money to buy a house. Mm -hmm. um, I, can, I can't really afford Maui rent, which is way high usually. Yeah. Uh, what do I do? And I'm like, well, there's a Colorado ski shuttle van, and they sell them every season. And maybe I'll just buy one of those and convert it. So I, I bought a ski shuttle van and spent a summer in a friend's wood shop uh, in San Diego, uh, outfitting it as a, as a camper van. Right, and so I was uh, doing van life in 2004. Wow! Did you yeah. test it out, and um, did you do like a trial run in California, or what was that like? Burning Man, baby! Oh, nice! Yeah, had had to get it smelling like playa dust. <laughs> I thought about going this year, but I'm actually going to be in Europe. 
Yeah, I kind of feel like I graduated. I haven't. I went to Burning Man like starting in '97, and then went about six or seven times. That yeah, I feel like an alumni. If I go back now, it's kind of weird. Uh, but yeah. I will. Is that just because you you feel like you've got bigger fish to fry now, or you've kind of squeezed all the juice out of that? Well, no. also I'm getting older, and I'm uh, I like comfort a lot, and Burning yeah. Man is always uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah, the sand getting in your eyes isn't comfortable for you, man. <laughs> oh, it's it's the lungs also. It's not good for you. I mean, I'm I'm healthy, but still, yeah. fire dust is not very good for you. I mean, you see, you, you seem like you've you barely aged. You seem like you age slowly. Yeah, yeah. Um, low stress, high exercise, <laughs> living in pretty places. I'm curious though, like how what was that journey like for you? So, so you you went to Burning Man, tested it out. You probably made some more tweaks on the van. And how long was it before you're like, okay, time to ship this sucker to Maui, get it on the boat? Uh, not long, like a month. Yeah. Took a detour through uh, the Yosemite Valley. That was pretty. Oh, it's gorgeous up there. Yeah. And then you, you got that on Maui. And I mean, had you met your girlfriend at the time? Uh, yeah. Yeah. She had made uh, the very questionable decision to... To, to live in a van. So she was on board for van yeah. life with you. Yeah. What? Yeah. That's, that's mad respect. That's yeah. That, that relationship ended up not working out though. Once we got a house. Is it because the van was, I mean, I had, I had a relationship partly not work out to be honest because we didn't have enough space. There's physical space. <laughs> no, this, this one didn't work out because we suddenly it got too much space and the stuff that I thought was like a minor organizational problem in the van turned out to be a huge hoarding problem in the large house. A hoarding problem. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I didn't realize it once I got more space that uh, the girlfriend at the time would choose to fill it with all this random stuff that she didn't see. <laughs> This is re- Garrett, Garrett, can we just say can we just say just for the benefit of everyone listening like this is so real like I mean it, I've been thinking so much about relationship compatibility especially during the weird couple of years we've had and yeah. this is real it's so real to to figure out you know to the, if you want to ha- if you want to share a space with someone there are so many questions and values to reconcile and to figure out where your boundaries are so many boundary issues. Yeah. And, uh, and this is, this is absolutely a wonderful person. Um, oh, sure. uh, still one of the most wonderful people I've ever met, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, I just couldn't be happy in that environment. So it that pretty much is what ended the relationship. Yeah, dude. So you, you came out, you were doing, you were doing van life and, and then how, what was that like? How long did that, how long did van life? Cause you know, you, you've got these great, I, I love what you did with the Ted talk as well, uh, which I watched re, rewatched recently. Well, they really, they, at Ted, they really push you to like add a personal element to the story. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, well, here's all this amazingly cool particle physics stuff. And yeah, yeah. I worked on a bunch of it while I was living in a van for a year and, and a year was plenty. <laughs> I didn't want to do it more than a year. It was, I kind yeah. of burnt out on it. Oh, okay. Okay. And then was there, were you sort of just waiting for certain investments to hit a certain threshold or were you kind of like shopping around for houses at the time? No, I had a, um, I had, while I was living in the van, I was actually, I landed a teaching job at the local college. Oh, nice. So, um, and the the college security guards were starting to suspect. (laughs) Oh, 
Mr. Lee, Mr. Lee, Mr. Lee, you can't be coming in here, you know, sleeping in the school's parking lot. That's not gonna. Yeah. But um, yeah, so no, uh, and I had a decent salary at that point, so I could afford an apartment. So I just did that. Okay. Yeah. But then, uh, you know, stocks kept doing better. Yep. And then uh, what really cinched it is I got a uh, a grant for my research. Right. So it was around 2006 that I landed a, a grant from the Foundational Questions Institute, which has gone in a horrible direction, by the way. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, the grant that supported me was I mean, fantastic. That was life-sustaining, and it let me do the research into right. unification that ended up with the A theory in this cool proposal. But the organization um, itself, uh, I think they got funded. Uh, I mean, they lost their original funding. And the organization that started funding them afterwards, I'm not exactly sure what, ha- what happened, mm. but they were really interested in the interaction of consciousness with fundamental physics. Okay. And uh, when somebody brings up the interaction of consciousness with fundamental physics, I tend to either run or uh, <laughs> <laughs> either flee or confront. It's, I, I get a, a fight or flight response. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is something we talked about, you know, years ago is like the idea of like an objective model versus a subjective model. And, you know, when you're dealing with physics, it's it's very objective. Like we're, we're trying to measure the objective truth, right? Yes. That's why, that's why, you know, the relativity theories are so but profound. But there's so many of them. Yeah. <laughs> Objective so truth objective. or subjective? <laughs> There's a lot of objective truths. I guess this is this is this is a multiverse joke. Oh, I missed it. Okay. Well, we yeah. you 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 once said to me that uh, you're c- totally comfortable talking about the multiverse in all the other universes, just not this one. <laughs> right. <laughs> but maybe we've slipped into one of those others. Who knows? I mean, look at the last look at the last five years. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> This is obviously the the weirdest timeline. I don't know, man. I mean, it's it's got it's one of the weirder ones, but uh, yeah, it's one of the weirder ones. <laughs> yeah. But don't you? Uh, God, there's so many handles on this suitcase. Um, <laughs> don't you feel like there are? Aren't there some things in the math that hint at other universes? Oh, definitely. Yeah. No, I mean uh, the. Going to Occam's razor again, the simplest interpretation of quantum quantum mechanics is that our reality is continuously branching into infinite possibilities, forking paths. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, there are U's in all of those. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, some of some of them are dead, but. <laughs> well, sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that uh, probably half of them are dead at this point. I, I got hit by a car a few years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there are a lot of dead Andrews. Oh, poor Andrew. Yeah. This one I got, I lucked out, as as my mom would say, lucked out. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing that I'm in, as intact as I am, but, but yeah, I'm luckily, now it seems like I'm unscathed, but concussions are no joke. No, no, I, I uh, yeah, they're bad. Um, <laughs> fortunately... Uh, we're pretty well suited to thinking about the, the multiverse in our day-to-day lives and making decisions based on that. Even though we're not coral? 
Yeah, even though we're not Carl, <laughs> you, you did rewatch the talk. Oh, um, deep cuts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the uh, <laughs> I threw you off. Sorry. Keep yeah, going. No, no, that's good. That's good. <laughs> we're good. What? Why are we good about it? How? Why are we good at that, guy Garrett? I don't understand why we're good at that. Well, it may. I mean, mathematically, quantum mechanics says we're branching into these different realities all the time. Yeah. And we can describe uh, quantum likelihoods to each of these different realities so that you know what's what's the percentage likelihood that there's a dead andrew versus a live andrew okay um based on uh our actions based on our motions throughout uh, this universe and the other universes and and that guides our future actions that awareness of the probabilities because we think of it we think of it in this universe as chance yeah it's like, all right, we're, we're used to thinking about their, uh, I mean, humans aren't very good about thinking about probability, but we do do it. Oh, they're terrible. We, we, we think about, you know, what's, what's the likelihood of something happening? Mm-hmm. And when you're thinking about the likelihood of something happening, you don't realize it usually, but what you're actually doing is you're counting up how many quantum multiverses there are that go one way versus going the other. <laughs> I like that frame. That's a, that's a good perspective. Yeah. And it's, uh, it turns out to be the same for, uh, you know, producing good decisions. Hmm. Try to choose good future multiverses for yourself, yourselves. <laughs> this is trippy. Yeah, it is. It is a trip. Quant- and, and ethics in the quantum multiverse are also very strange. I mean, if you watch Rick and Morty, there's all sorts of brilliant stuff in there, about <laughs> oh multiverses interacting and what that means. Um, but as far as we can, as far as we can tell, we can't actually jump between them. Right. If, if there was such a thing as a portal gun, I would have met myself already. Well, one of you probably. Well, unless there was some kind of like mandate, like a non-interference. No, no, no. There's like, yeah, no. I would have had a, a no Garrett left behind policy. There would have been the one of you. You're saying one of you would have broken the rule. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I I love breaking rules. I mean, the the main. <laughs> The main benefit of being local to an area yeah. uh, is knowing which rules you can bend and get away with. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like, where, where can you trespass over the line? Um, where, where, can you, <laughs> where can you speed where there isn't a speed trap? You know, oh, what, can, what can you bend and get away with it to your advantage? And on Hawaii, people are, you know, it's a little Wild West sometimes over there. Um, a little bit. You have to know what you can get away with and what you can't. Less, less so on Maui versus Big Island, to be fair. Yeah. Yeah, and there's, there's a lot of that. And so, uh, um, uh. And so being local to this, uh, this physical universe with these physical laws and being aware of the physical laws, um, I have gained a pretty good knowledge of which physical laws can be bent. And mm. therefore, if it was possible to bend them in such a way that I could travel back in time or uh, through different quantum realities to uh, contact myself, I would have. So I'm pretty sure you can't. <laughs> you know what's interesting about this conversation, Garrett? Well, there's so many things, but it it also reminds me of the Fermi paradox. Right, like where are the aliens? Yeah, why don't yeah, we see them? Right, right. Where are the aliens, yeah. and where where are other selves, and where is everybody? <laughs> well, it's getting it is getting more and more likely that we uh, will have contact with. Uh, alien intelligence at least observe it or have it come and interact with us. I feel like it's because I actually I actually did the calculation of 
uh, you know, the galaxy is pretty big. Yep. And we've been broadcasting um, structured radio waves out into the galaxy for about uh, maybe two, three hundred years. Yeah, maybe two hundred. Oh, we had years. St- structure for that long. Really? Structure like radio. Like the first uh, reasonably well-powered radio broadcasts. And if you, if you do the calculation, like of, of the you know, many billions of stars, stars in the galaxy. Yeah, we got like 500 billion. Yeah, yeah. How many, how many star systems do you think that those radio waves have reached? Well, I'm really glad you're asking this question because I've been wondering about this and I watched a video and they made an argument that after a couple light years that 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 radio information gets broken up it's hard to really really hard to detect it does it's it's actually um blo- it's actually the noise of our sun obscures yeah so how do we reconcile that garrett that when i found that out i was actually really bummed out <laughs> right. don't be really don't be it's okay. it's probably going to save us it's probably going to save us <laughs> okay. 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 Go on. <laughs> so it turns out that our radio signals uh, have only reached about going out 200 light years. You only reach about 8,000 star systems. But you're saying that it's it's. Can they detect it? Like in the movie Contact. Like could Probably, they? De- well, it depends on how uh, how well attuned they are and how well they can block out the noise from our sun. So you're saying it is possible if they can do like if they can filter out. Yeah. The noise from the sun. Yeah, but what's more likely is that aliens would send uh, probes right. out into the galaxy, and that those civilizations would spread, and then you'd have these little uh, alien, automated alien outposts that are listening to what's going on in the local neighborhood. Yeah, and it is likely that one of those will pick us up at some point, and then who knows what'll happen. <laughs> but I, I don't think I don't think it's happened yet. I don't I don't think Earth has been uh, visited by alien intelligence in recorded history. Okay, I go back and forth on that personally. Yeah, I mean the 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 more recent disclosures about uh, UFOs have been interesting, mm-hmm. and uh, there's some quite credible uh, reports of UFO sightings. So uh, it's hard to know about that. It, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Wasn't you? It wasn't, you. <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> Anything you might want to point our listeners to? Anything that struck you as a recent report that you, if you uh, can think of something off the top? No, of head, I'm, I, I don't have any uh, extra special insights into it or special sources that really struck me. It was just it was more like everything that came out. Um, the government uh, treating this more credibly. Yeah, it just seemed a bit of an attitude shift lately. Yeah, it is. It is. It's. It's. I am not a conspiracy uh, theorist person. Um, I am a little bit of a contrarian, but not an extreme contrarian. I try to be balanced. Mm-hmm. But when you know the U.S. government, you know, says, "Yeah, we've been looking into this. Yeah, there's some weird things that happened, and we've been looking into them." It's like I mean, mm-hmm. that's getting more credible. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, you know, there's some pressure when because the, the Fed doesn't like to talk about anything. Right. No, they don't want to rock the boat. Don't rock the boat. Yeah. Yeah, it makes you really makes you wonder. Yeah, it, it kind of feels related to the. And I thought, uh, I thought almost certainly it's local, that it's uh, like Lockheed or Northrop 
doing doing some super secret aerospace uh, experiments. We're going to round back to that in the after show because one of my questions is around that. It's something I love to ask all of my guests in the after show around UFOs, but we'll save that. That's what's called a teaser in the business. Um, if you know, because that, that, is, that is actually one of Garrett. That is one of the few and people who subscribe to the Patreon, the beautiful people who um, have said that they've, they've gained powers. They've felt safer after joining my Patreon. Um, magical things have happened in their lives, synchronicities. People give them food. I I'm not saying I'm responsible for that, but amazing things happen. Yeah. And uh, every one of these interviews, I do an after show, and you can check that out at Patreon, p a t r e o n dot com slash Hello Crusoe, Hello C R U S O E, and it really helps support the show and lets me keep doing this. Um, yeah. And I'm, cool. Yeah, but uh, it, I, this is why I love talking to you, Garrett, because I never know where it's going to go. You're you're so intelligent, and you know how to bring it down to the the layman's level. Oh, thanks. Um, either that, or I actually am at that level, so it's not <laughs> people should look up your papers. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> you're not. You're not. I'm, I'm looking at some of these. Like, oh boy, oh boy. There's I I don't know. I don't know. There's there's, there's Greek letters that I think were just were just invented just for math like there's like extra ones you know there's like yeah, yeah. and y and rye um i don't know tau you know you see tau you know you know stuff's gonna happen when you see tau watch out <laughs> yeah but it's just gonna go down yeah <laughs> oh, i want to i want to uh, there's so many things here so so your investments did well um i so there's a couple things i want to touch on um before i forget because i definitely want to ask your investing advice but i also want to ask how well we'll save the investing advice to the end but i want to ask so the large hadron collider is doing some upgrades right now right and yeah. th- they're not going to be done until like 2027 is what wiki said uh yeah it, it gets harder and harder and more and more expensive to boost to higher energies i wanted to ask you because you're one of the most qualified people that i'm aware of in well, let's be honest, no, that one of the most qualified people that I know to answer this question of how do you feel it's going? And, you know, we, we definitely got some more information in the last five years from LHC. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was, it was wonderful to uh, confirm the existence of the Higgs boson. The coolest thing probably going on now is actually uh, investigations into neutrinos uh, mm-hmm. with which, and the LHC is not uh, directly involved in that so much mm-hmm. as other okay. experiments. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the spectrum of neutrino masses is is kind of weird, and uh, that hmm. might lead to more insights into fundamental physics. Yeah, because neutrinos and electrons are actually pretty weird particles. They're uh, remember when I was talking about representation spaces and how you you uh, can spin things. Yeah, it it turns out that uh, electrons and neutrinos are not rotated like normal objects. Okay. So like with a normal object, if you take this spin three Lie group and you rotate this object 360 degrees, it returns to its initial state. But yeah. for an electron or neutrino, you act with the Lie group on an electron and neutrino and it uh, goes to negative its original state. But what the hell does that mean? Yeah, it what does means, that look like? Yeah, I'm trying it, to picture it, it, it. Yeah, It means that when you exchange electrons, you get the opposite of their original state. Whereas if you exchange normal objects, you, you get the same state if they're identical objects. 
Hmm. And this has this has broad implications. It's why matter can't just pass through itself. Well, the electron clouds are smacking into each other, right? Yeah, yeah. So the so electrons, uh, because of this oppositeness of electrons, they repel each other. Right. Two negatives. Yeah, but it's not it's not just the charges. It's not the negative charge that's causing it to repel itself. It's the uh, it's the fundamental nature of uh, of electrons and neutrinos themselves and how they interact and it's spin. Really? Huh. Yeah. So, and it's it's weird and cool stuff, and it all has to do with uh, Lie group representation spaces. Whoa. Yeah. So, so there's something there's intrinsic something intrinsic to electrons because, like, you know, learning basic physics, you just go, oh, okay, protons are positive, and uh, you know, electrons are negative charge. Whatever that, whatever that even means. And they, you know, they like to orbit on each other, but there's this force, you know, that's making sure that, you know, it doesn't collapse and it has a shell around the proton. And sometimes the atoms are heavier. They'll have a, a neutron in there. But it is, I mean, is it, is it even worth trying to picture this stuff? I mean, I mean you know, there's a famous, I think, um, I think it is. I mean, you have, you have mathematical descriptions of it and the mathematical descriptions can be visualized. True. And our visual processing is pretty advanced. I mean, we're evolved from monkeys, and visions uh, probably our most most powerful sense in most people. So, yeah, so yeah, true. use that use that mental horsepower to try to understand <laughs> your world. But then you think <laughs> about like how you know what is it in if 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 an atom was the size of a football field, right? Like right. the nucleus is like a pea. Yes, you know it's a, it's all this substantial stuff is mostly empty space. It's it's wild. Do you have any, a lot? Why? Why? I wonder why that works. It's it's kind of a trip. Like, is there is I, there dark matter in that empty space? Is it you know? I mean, I uh, guess. not very much. Yeah. Yeah. The, the the thing with dark matter is it's there's not very it's not very dense. Yeah. But it is widely distributed. Even so like. It, it, it turns out if you fill a vast quantity of space in between planets with very light stuff, you end up with uh, more mass than the planets. There's more dark matter than normal matter? There is more dark matter than normal matter. Right? It's about 70% to 30%, I believe. Even in like our solar system? Um, no. Or between? Yeah, you, uh, mostly within galaxies. Okay. Because the dark matter um, mostly clumps around galaxies, but not entirely. But you're talking about, you know, the vast expanse of what you consider empty space between stars actually has uh, a, uh, has dark matter in it. And because that space is so large, even though this dark matter is very, very light, it ends up being more massive than the stars. So they're saying that, a galaxy's mass is more dark matter than normal matter. Correct. For most cases. That's wild. Um, unless something horrible has happened to that, uh, that galaxy to strip away its dark matter. Does the, does the dark matter help hold the galaxy together then? It does, gravitationally. Uh, so is, it, is, it, is it conducive to life in that way? Or um, not related? Nah, that life doesn't seem to really care about dark matter. It doesn't interact much. But, like, if you didn't have that extra gravity, I mean, hmm. I'm just wondering if life benefits from a more compact galaxy. Uh, not as far as I can tell. It doesn't really affect yeah. 
local events much. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, mostly it mostly just bothers physicists. Yeah. <laughs> so is there any like if you could know anything at this point, like, you know, a data point, like if CERN or one of these other experiments could can make a breakthrough, like what would be what would be the most useful data point? Like a breakthrough in the next like ten years, uh, entirely new particles, just new particles. Yep. Like, are there are there new and different Higgs bosons with different charges? Mm-hmm. Are there new force particles? Mm-hmm. And heaven forbid, are there new matter particles? Like, <laughs> that that would be kind of horrible for me, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in the E eight um, like diagram that you had, you predicted there's like. 18 or 20 gaps still yeah yeah i'd love to see uh more higgs particles i'd like to see more more force particles but i would not like to see more matter particles and i would also not like to see super particles what's a super particle again uh it's a string theorist fantasy oh okay we don't have to talk about that then no no no. (laughs) Uh, let's make them look bad um yeah they uh, (laughs) the uh, one of the requirements of superstring theory is that all known elementary particles have partners okay. that uh, that rotate in the opposite way under spin three. Oh, like in dancing, swing your partner, do si do. Yeah. So um, for for every uh, so for every matter, matter matter particle, there needs to be a force particle with the opposite spin statistics, so that it. Mm-hmm. If you have something that gets a sign of negative one under a 360 rotation, the superparticle would get a sign of one. Okay. So, so for like electrons, they have superparticle partners called selectrons, and uh, all these other super. So every known particle would have a superparticle partner, and uh, and this is required for superstring theory and uh, for almost all string models. And I'm guessing a lot of these haven't been detected. None, none. There's never been detection of a superparticle. That was one of the main reasons the LHC was constructed is to look for them, and they found them not. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was lucrative for me. I actually won a bet with a, a Nobel Prize winner. Oh, I have this in my notes. I'm glad you brought yeah. this up. You're talking about Frank yeah. Wilczek? Am I signing his Wilczek, name right? yeah. yeah. He's, Wilczek. Uh, I believe he's the... Uh, it's. I think it would be fair to say that he is the greatest living theoretical physicist. Wow! And I mispronounced his last name. In term, in terms, in terms of what he accomplished, will check. But he was. He's a, a, a absolutely fantastic fellow. I have uh, the largest respect for him, and uh, I made a, a bet with him during a conference that uh, he he was very very confident about mm-hmm. super particles being detected mm-hmm. at the at the LHC, and so I called him on it. Uh, during the question section and asked if he was mm-hmm. willing to make a bet with me. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was. So right there uh, at, at the end of this talk uh, with a bunch of witnesses, he, uh, I asked, you know, what terms he'd like. And he said uh, yep. like a five-year time scale and a thousand bucks that super particles would be seen. And I took the opposing side that super particles would not be seen. Yep. And there were, there were some delays. So after five years, uh, the LHC wasn't quite up to speed yet. Uh, at full energy, so I uh, gave him an extension. <laughs> I didn't you give another year, as I recall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, great. But then the LHC, uh, you know, it ramped up to higher energy, and they still did not see super particles. And he conceded the bet and sent me a check. <laughs> 
You know, last time we talked, that had not resolved. Oh wait, wait, wait. Oh wait, I, I forgot one of the better parts. Um, in the in the memo section of the check, which I still have because you know uh, mobile deposits are great. Oh, you got to keep the check. It's a piece of history now. Yeah, so I got to cash it and keep it. It's like having your cake and eating it too. Mm. Uh, the memo part of Frank's check says uh, super particles delayed. <laughs> That's all he wrote. Yeah. All right. That's in buddy. the memo section. <laughs> Oh, it's like yeah. two. It's like two great philosophers. You know, they both have their uh, their position, and they respect each other, but they're not going to be swayed. That's right. That's right. <laughs> why? Why would somebody be so enamored with string theory? I mean, yeah, there's other things I want to talk about, but uh, well, you there, know, there are great things about it. There, there are a lot of really yeah. good things about it. It solves a lot of problems. Yeah. Um, there are infinities that pop up when you calculate the interactions of particles in quantum field theory. And so, you know, something's not right when you get answers that say, uh, yeah, that should be infinite. It's like, well, no, it's not. That means the model's um, breaking down, essentially, right? Right. And string mm-hmm. theory helps solve that because it helps smear out elementary particles into uh, strings. Mm. So that, that helps uh, make some of the infinities go away. It's very consistent and geometrically pretty in a lot of ways. It's just it also makes assumptions that just don't match up re- with reality, as far as I can tell. So, yeah. uh, it's 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 almost more like really hard science fiction than, than, <laughs> than, than, than physics. Oh boy, is uh is is there any like redemption for string theory, or is it just fundamentally you feel like it's based on a really rocky foundation or sandy foundation i should say right um i think it is in serious serious trouble and they're feeling it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. the smartest students now are going into machine learning where the real where a lot of the real action is these days that's very exciting and uh you got to be a little bit nuts to be going into string theory right now yeah can you imagine though having invested you know years or decades in that yeah oh yeah but i mean it's a it's a it's a thriving community i mean the strength there is themselves they're very, they're very well financially supported that's uh, where still most of the theoretical physics funding uh money is going in high energy physics so as a community they're sort of self mm, mm-hmm. self-congratulatory <laughs> they're giving <laughs> that's fair i guess yeah instead of instead of nobel prizes which they've never gotten uh, they have this breakthrough <laughs> prize now that they give to each other. Ah, yeah. So they 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 um they they pat themselves on the back now, even if uh, it's not for anything real. Mm. Well, he, humans are good at that. We we've been yeah. doing that for a while. Yeah, but they're you're supposed to be less good at that in the sciences. The sciences, the final final arbiter is supposed to be experiment. Yep, it's supposed to be testing these ideas against hard reality and uh, effectiveness is a measure of truth and your theories uh, just tend to go off the rails when you depart from that too much which is what we have been seeing so is there another you know your model is really elegant it's not complete is there any in you know hopefully you know more work will be done i think the e8 still has a lot of a lot of potential obviously um yeah well i mean i'm still working on it for the most part, I've also tried branching out in different directions uh, with larger Lie groups that encompass many of the properties of E8. Um, mm-hmm. To go larger, you have to go to infinite dimensional Lie groups. But infinite, uh, you're gonna, 
Yeah. It's a lot. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, your, your quantum field theory sort of forces you to do that. Mm. So, you know, in the 10 years since uh, I came up with this E8 unification idea, I've mostly been working on how to extend it with a uh, quantum description that's consistent with quantum field theory and known physics. W what that forces me to do is to try to come up with a description of quantum mechanics that's more like general general relativity and Lie groups. So it's a it's a it would be a geometric description of quantum physics. It's trippy, man. It's really trippy. I, I we should start to wrap up in a little bit, but I wanted to ask you about the Pacific Science Institute, which is oh, a yeah. component of what you're doing on Maui. And you host you host physicists, and uh, you have a joke on the website, occasionally you'll allow a chemist to come. And, you know, you how is that going? Because like, I think last time we talked, it was just kind of getting going. You were building these cabins and, and on the Yeah, land. we've had about, uh, I'd say probably about mm, two or three hundred... Uh, PSI visitors come through at this point. Awesome. Um, it's pretty much can't help but be wildly successful because when you give, you know, uh, smart, productive people a uh, beautiful free place to stay on Maui for mm -hmm. a while, mm -hmm. um, it just ends up being a good time for everybody. Mm -hmm. And and the idea behind the Pacific Science Institute, it, it came out of basically my, my own nomadic period when I was staying in friends' houses and really enjoying mm -hmm. the atmosphere of not having to worry about like a, a faucet leaking or, you know, weird house stuff, maintenance stuff, uh, or, and not, and not worrying about paying rent. Um, it basically frees up your mind to enjoy the environment and think about whatever you want and work on whatever you want. So it's pretty great. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to, uh, provide that sort of opportunity to scientists and friends who, uh, would really enjoy uh, being supported that way, yeah. and and so often society just doesn't support its scientists enough. Yeah, I mean, I I love capitalism. I think capitalism is the least bad of all possible bad economic systems. Um, mm -hmm. And but it, it doesn't compensate scientists uh, in measure with how much science contributes to the improvement of quality of life for mankind. Yeah, capitalism is very obsessed with the product, right? They want to see right. that. They want to see that very clear framework, and it's it's almost like it reminds me of like going to the moon. Like we didn't know everything that we'd learn by going to the moon, and there was all these knock on effects, all this technology that had to be invented. It's more yeah, complicated, it, and, it, and it typically typically wasn't the NASA engineers who did the bulk of the work who got compensated for those advancements, right? So it's it's uh, capitalism uh, often lets down people who give their stuff away, and scientists yeah. often give their stuff away. Hmm. Hmm. And so I I do think it's good uh, to um, be more socially and if possible economically supportive of scientists who are lifting up everybody. Well, especially in an environment where they can also be in the same land together you know and, and share meals together you get this collaboration are there any any stories yeah. that, that come to mind uh and psi has anybody been like a kind of bouncing idea off and uh yeah we've had we've had uh, a bunch of good workshops we've had uh, all sorts of fascinating people coming through i mean secretly it's also a way of keeping me entertained uh, <laughs> just to have a, a, a bunch of cool people coming through all the time 
because Maui is pretty isolated. Um, I mean, on the other hand, I, I also like having an enormous moat. Yep. Because <laughs> there are plenty of people I like keeping out. Yeah. I wish there was something like the Pacific Science Institute for uh, creative writers and authors. <laughs> well, there, well I mean, you, you, have, uh, you do have writing retreats. That's true. That's true. And there, there are music retreats also. So, so yeah, writing retreats are a thing. Um, you go off somewhere with very poor cell service and turn off your phone, and you're stuck <laughs> looking at a blank page for a long time. I should I should do more research on that. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I don't I don't believe so much in retreats. I like making forward progress. A pun that I also agree with. Huh, PSI. And it's still, is it still, how is the, I mean, I hate to use the P word, but how's the pandemic affected that? I imagine it's tricky. Well, at the very beginning of it, when like in February of 2020, there were, well, first of all, it was really strange because uh, the friends I was talking to were like, wow, this virus out of China seems really nasty. you know, the stock market doesn't seem to be responding. <clears throat> and this was in early February. And you're paying attention to that. You know, you're, you're right. And I was like, like, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. And the, the stock market was booming. And I'm like, wow, there's this worldwide pandemic. It might shut everything down. Why isn't the stock market responding? Why isn't the stock market responding? Why isn't the stock? Oh, there it goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it just plummeted. And that's, that's the first time I have, uh, panic sold all my positions. Yo, wow. All. Yeah. Cause as soon as I saw that dip starting to happen, I just closed out everything. Yeah. Um, I, I paid a big tax hit on that in capital gains, I bet. uh, but, uh, it turned out to be worth it. And I, I bought back in a month later when the, the recovery had started and it turned out the recovery was incredible. I mean, the, the stock market, um, bizarrely, for the the you know last eighty percent of the pandemic, the stock market boomed. I've I've thought about this. <laughs> yeah. It just shows how. I mean, it, it makes a layperson like me go, "How much connection does the stock market really have to?" You know, it's it's it feels very speculative in well, moments like that. You have to understand that corporations are. They're, corporations are the ultimate sociopaths. Yep. They don't care about anything except optimizing, you know, shareholder returns. Even if people are miserable, you know, the stock could be doing really well because companies can be doing really well relatively. And some companies did better. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a trip. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and people, I mean, if you think about it, the only thing worth a damn is, are uh, companies because of their ability to produce uh, advances in revenue in the future. Mm-hmm. So corporations and, uh, and real estate, because you need a place to do that. And you need a place to live. And uh, although real estate m- might not do great as population declines, because you, you won't get as much pressure. You won't get as much uh, growth pressure. From increasing population. Well, and also as if we see sea level rise, depending on how fast that happens, there's certain that's areas. Slow. That's slow. Yeah, that's true. 
Uh, I mean, I'm not, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not buying real estate in Miami. No way. But yeah. uh, it's still pretty slow. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. But investing is fun. I mean, try to, the best thing to do is try to make good risky bets. How do you feel about cryptocurrency? Um, I feel like I should have bought more. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Actually, I, I had 5,000 bucks. I was going to buy uh, 500 Bitcoins back in like 2010 when it was at 10 bucks a coin. Oh my God. And I had some friends running an exchange called Trade Hill. I was going to transfer 5,000 bucks in and buy a bunch of Bitcoin. Uh, one of the people running the company said, no, you should hold off. It's too volatile right now. And that was the, <laughs> the worst advice I've ever received in my life. <laughs> so you had Bitcoin was 10. So you would have had 500 Bitcoins. That'd be worth, yeah, yeah. That'd be worth a lot. seven figures, <laughs> high seven, seven, eight figures, yeah. maybe. Yeah, that would have been nice. But I, I did. I bought a bunch in 2014 or so when it was at like yeah. 300. So I'm, yeah. I'm doing all right. It's good. It's good. Yeah, it's it's been the it's been the biggest wave of the 21st century in terms of uh, return on investment potential. What is your opinion on Ethereum versus Bitcoin versus Cardano? Um, I'm very pro Ethereum. Uh, I picked up a lot more Ethereum recently uh, because I like that it's going to proof of stake. Yes. Um, because of the energy usage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not crazy about. Uh, how much power uh, Bitcoin mining takes. Um, however, you know they tend to mining operations cluster where electricity is cheap, which tends to be where you have uh, a lot of geothermal energy production, or you know where you know you have a, a good cheap green source of energy. Or hydro. Yeah. 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 So that's that. That's good. That makes it less bad. But so I like that it, Ether is going to uh, proof stake. I also uh, have been pretty fascinated by all the decentralized finance mm-hmm. uh, operations going on, mm-hmm. um, and uh, almost all of them are ether-based. I know that that's one of the things that gives me a lot of faith in ether. It's just the it's a yeah. platform. It's not just a currency. It's it's an entire platform. There's so many coins built on ETH. It's wild. Yep. So, so I picked up a bunch of that recently, and uh, but I have not picked up more Bitcoin recently. I just hodled. Hold, hold it, hold it, hold it. Yeah, the, I, it's going to be interesting to see what happens, obviously, with all of that, because, you know, it, it took a big tumble uh, after November. Like, the whole crypto market lost, like, 25% of its valuation. Oh, my stocks did, too. Yeah, I guess everything kind of did, but you have to you have to get used to that sort of volatility. Yeah, you can't. I mean, you can't help but laugh at it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I've been doing that since I was twelve. Mm-hmm. That's how I started investing. I was I was flipping burgers, McDonald's, making three forty five an hour. Three forty five. My father was like, uh, "Well, here's your birthday money. Uh, you want to go buy toys, or do you want to invest in <laughs> stocks, and then you can buy a car in the future." And I'm like, all right, Dad, let's let's uh, teach me about this stock stuff. So, such a cool um, dad. Yeah. So uh, we invested in like a cutting edge frozen yogurt company, uh, <laughs> and and uh, a couple tech companies. And uh, this was in the good lord, seventies, uh, like around 1980. Okay. And I'd come home. From from you know working my butt off at McDonald's flipping burgers all day, having made twenty eight bucks, 
and I open the paper and I track my stocks and I, you know, on a piece of paper in, from the newspaper reports of stock movements that day, I chart out and it's like, oh, wait, I'm, my stocks are up 300 bucks or my stocks are down $400. And there was just this utter disconnect between the paltry sum I was making by working my butt off for an hourly yeah. wage mm-hmm. and the amount that stocks were going up and down in value. Mm-hmm. And uh, I kind of vowed at that point to make my money off stocks and not from working. <laughs> How old were you? I'm 12. Wow. Yeah. I wish that I'd gotten into it that early. Yeah. So I, I, uh, I've played with stocks ever since and it's worked out really well. But back then there wasn't anything like Robin hood or, you know, no, like, no. My, I mean, my father helped me, you know, uh, trade stocks. He did. He have a he had a broker. He had like a yeah. company. Yeah. Yep. Now it's now it's easy. Now it's almost too easy. I mean, actually, yeah. it bothers me how easy it is to trade options on Robinhood. Yeah, because you can get screwed. You can really get screwed. I've I've always been screwed on options. Every time <laughs> I've tried to make an option play, it, I've lost. I met a I met a young woman once who claimed that she was making like thousands a week on options, but. I, I I don't know. She had like a beater car and it was, I, I was, I was talking to a friend about it and like, yeah, you can lose stuff extremely yeah. quickly as well. Oh yeah. It's oh, yeah. something you got to be careful about. Yeah. It's a little bit. Also um, the way options are priced, it's a little bit too much like Vegas where the odds are in the house's favor all the time. Is it in the house? I, I haven't done yeah. options just because I've yeah. read so many horror stories. How is it in the house's favor? They make, they, they produce, the bets you can take. They tell ah. you which bets you can take, like how much, if you make a bet for something, how, how will it pay off if something happens? Hmm. And they, they make that bet on both sides and count on statistics to, you know, work out in their favor on average. Mm-hmm. So it's all, so the people making the market are, are taking a cut. Whereas with stocks, yes, the founders, the people who got in early for a company are making out like bandits Sure. But pretty much um, you're on equal footing with other shareholders mm-hmm. uh, when you're buying stocks. And and the odds are in your favor because stocks on average go up. Yep. yep. I also tend not to short. No? I, I've yeah. thought about it, but it, it never happens. Yeah. yeah, I've only shorted a few times. And sometimes it's worked out okay, but usually badly. So for people who want to get into investing, would you have any passing advice for them? <laughs> Uh, yeah, make good risky bets. Uh, think about, think about companies that, uh, are smallish, but sort of the leaders in their area that you think will do well and come out on top. Mm-hmm. Um, or even big companies that, uh, you think will come out on top in a, in a growing, growing market. That's good advice. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, it's going to be interesting to see how the crypto market kind of bounces it's been coming back um not to make this too too timely because i like these interviews to be as evergreen as possible but it's right. been coming back now these the last couple of weeks been like, oh that's nice it's nice to <laughs> this is appreciating but it's such a long game you got to look at ethereum as long like do, where, where do you think ethereum like you're definitely it's definitely going to end up above a hundred thousand at some, or at least bitcoin will be an end up because bitcoin there's only ever going to be 26 million bitcoins I thought it was 21 million. It might be 21. I might be wrong. Yeah. But yeah, I yeah. it was capped at 21 million. Um, but yeah, Ethereum is not capped. I mean, actually, it the, is not. 
the the cap on Bitcoin kind of bothers me because people lose it all the time. What do you mean? Well, people are forgetting their passwords all the time. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't do it. And and you know, especially the people that you know had Bitcoin before they knew it was worth anything. Yep. Oh, there's like make millions of or 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 maybe a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin that's just yeah. sort of. Yeah. And, and also, I mean, people. And as the geeks who bought Bitcoin get older, they're going to die by surprise and not have a system for having their keys recovered. Unless they're in an exchange that lets them designate. But a right. lot of these, a lot of these people, welcome back to crypto talk. A lot right. of these, a lot of these, yeah, folks, um, maybe have it in a hardware wallet. Do you, what do you, I mean, yeah. Do you, how do you, do you, do you keep yours in a hardware wallet? Do you just keep it, you know, backed up locally? Do you keep it in exchange? Or do you have any rec- recommendations? Uh, for I got a, I got a sheet of paper under my mattress. No. Um, uh, Some people do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, uh, I'd rather not say actually. No, don't, don't say, don't do it. Yeah. And I, I absolutely do not have enough Bitcoin to make it worthwhile to kidnap me. No. Yeah. No, 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 no. This um, will never, they, this will never air. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like do you do you like the hardware wallets? I haven't done a hardware wallet. I just I haven't in a place that's safe. But um, um I thought about Yeah, no, it. I've I've got a I've got a a a software system to have control over it. Yeah. So it, it's more like a it's more like a multi-person key required to open it. So even if I was kidnapped, I it couldn't be recovered. That's smart. I should do that. Yeah. That's smart. Yeah, and the nice thing about the Bitcoin too is you you can't. It is a it is a it's essentially a large prime number, right? Uh, well, it's a it gets harder and harder to crack it as computing power gets more and more powerful. Right. So you can back up your crypto. It can be in multiple places, encrypted in multiple yeah. places. Yeah. So that's nice. Yeah. That's yeah. Nice. Most of it was lost when you know, like people had it on single hard drives that went to the dump or like just. Uh, yeah. Or, or just mm. forgotten passwords. So many forgotten passwords. Do you think Ethereum? But, oh, go ahead. Yeah, but I was going to say, yeah, with Ethereum, it's uh, uh, there's new ether created at a small continuous rate to keep it going, even mm-hmm. if to counterbalance the loss. Yeah, it's very well thought out. It it seems to be. Yeah, especially from the papers. Yeah, and I. Uh, yeah, so I, I like Ether a lot, and it's. Um, I, I think we're pretty close to uh, matched capitalization between ETH and BTC. It's getting, yeah, it's getting, it's getting close. It's been been amazing how how Ether has grown and outpaced yeah. the trading volume. Um, but, yeah. but but like, what do you you know what I mean? Like, do you think it's going to be more and more? Because a lot of it feels like speculation right now. And... Yeah, I mean, I like I, I like DeFi, um, although yeah. it's I consider it too risky. Yeah, because I because I don't want to hand over my keys to yeah. some exchange that is then going to map it out. Also, I don't trust anything that gives that high of a return because uh, that invariably comes with risk, especially third party risk. Now, when you say DeFi, are you talking about staking? Or are you talking about yeah. uh, staking? You know, I mean, there are lots of companies where you hand over your Bitcoin or Ether to them. Mm-hmm. And they use that to produce a return, uh, sometimes like around 10% annually, which is extremely high for a 
It's much more than a bank will give you. Very high. And but you know, it's a fly by night company. Can you really trust it that you're gonna get your Bitcoin back plus interest? I mean, there's a, <laughs> there's a... <laughs> Well, some of them are pretty reputable. Um, yes. some, some yeah. of the exchanges are good. Yeah. But some of them are yeah, newer. I, I, I want to see these things, uh, survive for five more years and then I'll consider, uh, yeah. uh investing with them. But I'm, I'm very, I'm very bullish on that. I'm less bullish on NFTs, which I think haven't found their, uh, good use case yet. Mm-hmm. I think NFTs are going to be good once they're used for things like property deeds. Yeah. Real practical, you know? real world yeah. application. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I don't want to buy some like rights to the digital representation of a monkey for millions of dollars. It makes zero <laughs> sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So just kind of wrapping this in a bow, if I can, what future do you see for the Pacific Science Institute and even? You know, is is what you do? It's it's kind of tricky to have a. You can have a clear goal, but you're working on some of the hardest problems around, right? So, like, how do you how do you approach that? Is it just a? It almost reminds me of like a meditation practice in my head. You know, of like you return to these problems every day or, or several times a week, and you're just sort of, yeah. What, what does that look like for you in the terms of well, like the planning and the future? I have... I have a life apart from physics. Totally. And for the Pacific Science Institute, we recently acquired a 6,000 square foot house in Utah, uh, in the mountains, wow. um, which is beautiful for snowboarding and mountain biking and paragliding. Uh, so, and that's because wow. investments have been doing well. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's recently opened and I've uh, been able to host some people uh, at that. Um, so that's wonderful. I like Greek letters. So it's a uh, Mew, the Mountain Unification Branch. I love that. <laughs> the uh, for working on theory, um, I consider it a high risk endeavor. Mm-hmm. I think the chance of success is fairly low. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I try to balance how much time I devote to working on that and trying to figure out this hard problem uh, mm-hmm. versus how much time I spend doing very enjoyable life stuff, like spending time with my wonderful girlfriend. Mm-hmm. or uh, or hosting people, or snowboarding, or paragliding, surfing, kites, and all the fun stuff. So I, I try to have a good life and only spend a, a fraction of it working on hard problems that are probably going to be very frustrating and possibly, or probably fail. That's, uh, I feel that, I feel that. It, it's yeah. it's sort of like you've found a way to, just bringing it back to the abundance journey that you've had. I mean, you you made some good investments, you took some sacrifices living in that van and um, it, you've kind of found a way to, even if you don't, you know, find the grand unified field theory, which is like hitting the super jackpot. It's like hitting, you know, 4,000 slot machines at the same time. Um, you sounds like you found a way to, is that like, what does abundance mean to you? Maybe that's a good way to, to bring it together. Oh, I'm, I'm, so- I'm already there. I've got much more in terms of resources than I need in my own life personally. So, um, uh, life is, life is good. I'm sharing, uh, the success that I've had to a fairly large degree. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically having a good life mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, and there- uh, without, without worrying about stuff too much and without, uh, without too much financial worry. 
What do you credit to that? Like what mindset feel you feel helped lead you to where you are now? Uh, well, it's willingness to take intelligent risks mm-hmm. as well as uh, getting lucky with them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because you have to, you have to commit. You have to, you have to make the bet. Otherwise you can't win. Yeah. A little bit of skin in the game. Yeah. Hey, well, Garrett, I'm so thankful that you're able to come on the show. We're going to do a bit of an after show. Um, but I just, I'm just glad we were able to make this work today and it's been an honor talking to you. And if people want to check out our after show where we're going to ask, we're going to have a, have a UFO question, some other fun things, um, they can go to andrewcrusoe.com and click on podcasts and you can get the link to Patreon there, or you can go directly to patreon.com slash hello Crusoe. And it's like, I think it's still like just $5 a month. You get all the past after shows and it's really fun. And we have nice comments and conversations on there. Um, Garrett, is there anything you'd like to point people toward uh, any, any, anywhere some people can follow you or anything you'd like them to check out? I'm not selling anything, so I don't have anything to plug, but I mean, if people want to follow me on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, that's always fun. Your Instagram is really fun. You, you post, you post fun videos and just these beautiful views of your life on Maui and in, in Utah as well. Yeah. I'm peacocking. It's, I, I'm not shy about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's fun though. You can live vicariously, you know, live vicariously. Um, yeah. Well, mahalo Garrett. I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Good talking with you. Yeah. Aloha. Well, I'm sure you have a lot of food for thought after that. I know I do. I just want to say thanks again to Garrett for coming on the show and being so gracious and generous with his time. It was an honor to interview him again. And if you want to hear our edgy UFO-tastic after show, you can go ahead and check it out at andrewcrusoe.com slash podcasts. There's a link there that'll take you to the Patreon. For just $5 a month, you get access to all of my past after shows, including this one. And I just want to say thank you so much to everybody who supported the show. It lets me keep doing this. Everybody who's left a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, just thank you from the bottom of my heart. This is something that I see myself doing for a while. So, mahalo and thanks again for just being here. See you star side.